get to a point in your career where you look around and everyone's an expert at something. Everyone is working hard. Yet there are certain people who have greater influence within the organization and some people who just don't. And the difference uh, isn't the things you can do or what you do, but it starts to becoming more about how you go about doing those things. On this episode of the Creator Community, we'll meet Jeff Shannon, co-founder of consultancy Bravium Human Development, and now published author. We'll hear how Jeff discovered through his own career that hard work is the only answer to success in life. We'll discuss how the right mindset, habits, and behaviors are necessary to not just be credible, but highly believable and influential in your career. We'll also follow Jeff's journey and hear how his life lessons focus on learning and his own career experiences ultimately led him to publishing his new book, Hard Work Is Not Enough. Check it out. Welcome to the second season of the Creator Community. This is a new podcast series from book publisher, New Degree Press, or NDP. I'm your host, John Saunders, founder of Forward Advisory Solutions. This show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books with NDP. This year, 2021, NDP will cross over 1,000 published authors. In the show, we'll get to know the authors in their books, as well as give you a behind-the-scenes look at their journey. We'll find out what it takes to bring a book from an idea to being available wherever you buy books online. It's no easy task, but it's certainly doable with the right tools and structure. Today, I have with me Jeff Shannon, author of Hard Work is Not Enough, The Surprising Truth About Being Believable at Work. Jeff is a partner at Bravium, a boutique facilitation and executive coaching firm helping leaders be more strategic, innovative, and effective. He leads over 50 strategy and culture building workshops each year, which means he observes business professionals in the wild and develops strategies to help them operate at their fullest potential. Before Bravium, he was an award-winning brand director of a billion-dollar business. Jeff's book has a publishing date of early September 2021 and will be available then wherever you buy books online. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. I'm excited to be here. It's awesome to have you. Uh, you know, quite a background you have. I'd love to dig into that a little bit more before we get started here. Could we could we share a little bit more about your background and you know how did you land where you are? How did you navigate here so far? Yeah, uh, so I uh, I've spent the last five years uh, as a professional facilitator and executive coach. Um, oftentimes, people ask me, "What does professional facilitator really mean?" Uh, and what that basically means is people hire me uh, to design and lead more effective meetings. So be it a strategic planning session, an innovation session, a team alignment session. Uh, I design and lead those workshops so the people in them uh, can really focus on the content and don't have to worry about all the details of uh, ensuring that they have a productive and effective meeting. So uh, I've been doing that for about five years with fellow author, NDB author, Nicole Bianchi, uh, author of the book, Small Brave Moves. that came out about three or four months ago. Uh, and prior to that, I worked at a company called ConAgra Brands. I was there for 17 years. Uh, I worked in brand management on the banquet frozen meals business, which meant I was the GM uh, for the meals and pot pies business uh, that you see in your grocery frozen shelves. Uh, before that at ConAgra, I was, uh, I was in finance. So I started out with a spreadsheet. Uh, and I was plugging numbers in and worked my way up to brand director where I was uh, being strategic and designing the future of the banquet brand. Quite a journey, food, 
right? To food management, to coach and consultant and master facilitator. I love it. Uh, quite a, a nonlinear journey, it sounds like you've had, but uh, I think we'll find some themes here as, as we go through it. So maybe a little bit. So that's more about your career and background journey. How did you land in the book journey? Where did that come about? Or how did that come about? You know, I, uh, I heard this great story. So Kevin Keller, uh, he was telling a story about a friend of his who is in his uh, upper 70s or 80s. And he was talking about that he only takes on five-year projects. So in his mindset, if a project isn't five years uh, in scope, it's not big enough for him. And so he kind of sees his life as he's got four more big projects left in his life. And when I heard this story, I was really inspired because I thought, hmm, you know, I've never done a five-year project. I've never done a two-year project. What, what would I do if I started writing a book? That could be a one-year to two-year project for me to start it and finish it. And that felt big enough uh, to be challenging uh, and take advantage of all the insights that I had been gathering and collecting as a, as a brand manager, as a finance manager, as a, uh, a facilitator and executive coach. So I could take all that information, turn it into a two-year project and really create value for other people. That's awesome. So inspired by someone who's been there and done that. I think someone yes. once said to me, if you want to figure out how to do something, go ask someone who's done it already, right? And, and see how they did it successfully. Uh, that's awesome. So let's uh, dig into your book a little bit. You know, hard work is not enough. Jeff, why is it hard work enough? Well, so hard work is not enough because hard work and expertise that leads to a reputation of being dependable. And unfortunately, being dependable does not lead to being believable. We all, we all received that advice. We first started out in our careers, uh, a loving parent, a teacher, an advisor. They said, hey, in order to be successful when you get into your career, all you have to do is just become an expert in your field and work harder than everyone else. And that works. It's a great strategy for starting. But what happens is you get to a point in your career where you look around and everyone's an expert at something. Everyone is working hard. Yet there are certain people who have greater influence within the organization and some people who just don't. And the difference uh, isn't the things you can do or what you do, but it starts to becoming more about how you go about doing those things. And believability is a combination of both. Yes, you must be an expert. You must be hardworking, but that's not enough to make you believable so you can have influence inside of your organization. So it's a, a combination of believability, hard work. And and having that expertise is that yeah well I think of, I think of hard work and expertise as table stakes at a certain point in your career you know when you're starting out it's a differentiator but just look around I mean everyone in your organization at a certain level already fits that qual qualifications otherwise they don't work there anymore and and so if you want to stand out if you want to have be heard if you want to have that seat at the table you're going to have to do things that are different than what everyone else is doing where does that believability come from. Well, so I think about, uh, I remember a, a workshop that I had. Uh, I was doing, doing this big workshop uh, for a group that sets up the College World Series. And one of the things that people in the workshop said, hey, uh, you know, we just need to trust more. If we just trusted more, things would go a lot better. And I think about the word trust. That gets thrown around a lot. Whereas, well, if, you know, if we just trust more, it'll work. And I feel like working on trust uh, is the wrong place to work, that we actually have to go further upstream. So right, if you think way downriver, it's what we want is influence. We want to be able to influence the direction of the organization, influence the actions that people take, the way people think, right? That's where we can really have impact. Well, in order to do that, you have to have people trust you. And I don't know about you, John, but I don't know that I can make you trust me. 
I can invite your trust. I can ask for your trust. But at the end of the day, it's up to you to decide whether you trust me or not. And so for me, spending your time and energy on trust and getting other people to trust you is probably a, a, a false, a, a bad approach. I like to work further upstream from that is, well, can I be more believable? Can I be more trustworthy in my behaviors, attitudes, and actions? If you work further upstream from that is, is down to those capabilities where most people kind of focus their energy on about that expertise and hard work. Well, I'm capable of producing so many widgets. I'm capable of these things, but it's that how uh, that is where people really start to differentiate themselves. It's such a, a powerful message and, you know, showing, not telling, right? I think is, is maybe a bit of the message here. And I, I heard one, one of my favorite quotes, and I, I think, it, gosh, was it Thomas Jefferson? I, I might be getting that wrong, but they said, how do you know if you can trust someone? Uh, go ahead and try it and see what happens, right? And But how many people are willing to take that step? Not, not that many, sure. right? You've got to prove, sure. prove yourself. You know, when you talked about this concept of believability in your book, you talked about this idea of, you know, maybe letting some fires burn, what was that about? How does that make people letting a fire burn make people more believable? Yeah, there's this great story by Reed Hoffman. He was one of the founders of PayPal and LinkedIn, Greylock. And he tells this great story about uh, at the beginning of PayPal, when, when their growth was really accelerating, uh, they had three customer service reps at PayPal. And uh, the phones would ring with people having issues and complaints. Uh, and eventually those phones, those three phones were ringing 24 hours a day. <laughs> as they continue to bring on users. Uh, and then eventually, all the executive team's phones were ringing 24 hours a day. Every phone in the building was ringing 24 hours a day. And the team had a choice. Well, do we try to solve that right now, try to figure out what their problems are? Or do we think of a big solution for future users that will solve all those problems all at once? And what they decided was they're going to let some fires burn. They're just going to let it happen. Uh, and, and at one point, they eventually came to Omaha, set up a call center, and set up processes and systems that eliminated all of those phone calls in the first place. And so I use that as an as a inspiration for, as we, we go around work and you ask people, hey, how you doing today? Oh, busy, super busy, super busy. Oh, I'm so busy. I'm drowning. I got so much going on. Let me ask you, John, when someone says it to you, do they seem very believable? Do they seem like they're on top of what they're doing? Do they rarely like have any sort of control <laughs> of what's happening around them? No, because when we're so busy, uh, we've lost the ability to have time to think, time to plan, time to project, time to be strategic. And so when I say uh, you got to let some fires burn, I think the assumption is, well, at my level, I have to be super busy. And then someday when I'm a leader or an executive, well, then then I'll have all the time in the world to be strategic. And what I would argue is, no, the people who figured out how to let some fires burn earlier in their careers are the people who make it to that next level. They are the ones, because once you demonstrate the capacity uh, of being strategic, well, then when, when you get, that's what got you to the next level. I think being busy today and then someday you're going to turn it off. Uh, that's not really how it works. Uh, and so developing the discipline to allow some fires to burn today, just to say, you know what? I know it's a problem, but it's not a priority problem. We are going to live, even though that's not perfect. And I'm going to focus on this over here where I can have a larger impact. I appreciate you bringing that together with this idea of prioritization, right? Because you can think, oh, if I let this fire burn, well, I'm not doing my job, right? But at the same time, prioritizing your time, thinking about what's, you know, what's really important now and getting me to sort of three, six, 12 months down the road, as opposed to the end of this day. And oftentimes we don't, we get so caught up in working 
right in our business as opposed to on it, which I think is something we'll talk about here in a little bit as well. Uh, yep. Appreciate that story. Yeah. You, know, you told another story about uh, drinking the ants. What what the heck is that all about? How does that increase believability? This is a story uh, that came to me on a camping trip, actually, uh, from a good friend of mine, Derek Neely. And he tells a story uh, about a mission trip uh, uh, that he took to Guatemala. And it's 24 hours to get to Guatemala uh, from where he left. Uh, he's going to be there for two years. And the day that he arrives, uh, he goes out to meet with a family. Uh, and the family he's meeting with, uh, they live in a small I mean, a home or kind of a, a metal shack that had a dirt floor and they're the nicest, politest people. And he, there he is in the room uh, and uh, very hospitable. And they say, hey, can I offer you a bologna sandwich? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, and a glass of tang. Uh, and uh, uh, the woman who the hostess, uh, she walks out of the, the room he's in and he looks down and he sees all of his food is covered in ants. His tang Live ants filled with live ants crawling all <laughs> over it. And, and look, these folks are doing the very best that they can. And he's sitting there thinking to himself, I'm an American. I have a lot of privilege and I'm going to be here for two years. I can either start picking the ants off or I can drink the ants and just accept what comes on this trip. And he decided right then at that moment, he grabbed the glass of Tang and drank the whole thing. And he said all the way to the very end, I wanted to make sure I had every single drop and every single ant drank. And for him, he felt that that gave him permission to just accept whatever came his way, to adapt to the situation, no matter what it was, no matter how uncomfortable it was for him uh, on his mission trip. He said it saved his mission trip, and it's like a major teaching point with him and his family. And so I share that story uh, because I want you to think about three types of people, okay? So let's say you're a manager, uh, let's say that you're giving out some work assignment. I've got a big work assignment here. I'm going to give it out. And you go up to the first person and you say, hey, I got this great project, great opportunity for you. And they say, no, thanks. Okay. The second person you walk up to says, oh, I would love to do it, but, you know, is it going to be too hard? Can I be done with it by the end of the day? Uh, is it, you know, I don't want to like overstretch. Like, I feel like I'm going to have to come and talk to you a whole bunch about taking this on. That's number two. And you go to the third person who says, on it, got it. I'll take care of it. Which one of those three people are most believable to you? Right? The person who just says, hey, I don't know what this is going to be, but I'm going to accept it. I'm going to make it work uh, based on my experience and capabilities. And, and I think of that I use that adaptability because the ability to be adaptable, the more adaptable you are, the more believable you're going to be in your organization. Organizations are about change. It is not going to stay the same. Uh, uh, for, for more than months at a time, like things are going to be different. And if you watch people in the organization, the ones who get on with the change and adapt quickly, uh, just by their nature of that uh, ability, make them more believable uh, when, when you're, they're talking and, and having a seat at the table in the future. Really like the sequence you're thinking through, which is this adaptability equals believability, which leads to credibility, which I think is really where you're trying to get to. And then this idea of bringing that all back to influence, right? At the end of the day, we all want to have influence and people that can deliver influence, uh, deliver change, and they tend to be the leaders in an organization. But I think I, I love this idea. I think it all starts with adaptability. Um, brilliant. When you think, uh, let's get back to this on versus in concept, right? You know, what makes working on the system or the process, the business better than working in it? You know, what's, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah. So as you think about uh, uh, on the system or in the system, uh, there's very, it's very natural to look at the work that's in front of you and accept all of the rules of the game as they were laid out for you, either spoken or unspoken. It's, hey, this is what we're here to do. Uh, I'm going to accept it, right? You can accept or challenge things that are happening in the current state, right? So if you think about that as a continuum, accept or challenge. The other state you can think about is in the future state. You can say, well, I can be pragmatic about the future or I can be transformational as I think about the future. And so if you land in that, I accept the current state and, I, and I'm pragmatic about the future state, it kind of creates a two by two matrix, uh, then I am working in the system. This is incredibly important. Lots of the work that we do in organizations are going to be in the system. We have to serve customers. We have to serve users. We have to create value by actually doing something. So that's not a bad thing. In versus on is not a mutually exclusive choice. Just to recognize that that is that type of work, right? That it's in the, in the system. I'm creating value within the system. But there's You've a whole other- execute today, right? Yeah. Execute today. Yeah. Execute today and assume that tomorrow is going to look a lot like today. So I'm just going to put my head down and do the work. If you want to be believable- uh, Again, that's dependability. We have to start playing in this other area. We have to start stretching into this other type of thinking. And so that would be the same two by two matrix. We need to be challenging on the future, on the current state. Hey, why are we doing this? Not to be a pain, but to challenge it so that you can make it better, so we can better serve customers, do things more efficiently. We got to be able to challenge what and why we do things today. The other thing we have to do is think about the future state. Instead, instead of being pragmatic, saying, well, tomorrow's going to be a lot like it is today. What if tomorrow could be brilliantly different than it is today to challenge ourselves, to be strategic and say, hey, if I'm working on the system, I'm challenging the current state and I'm thinking transformationally about the future state. How do we generate more revenue? How do we lower cost? How do we have create better connections with our customers? Right? How do we create more value in the future in new and different ways than what we do today? And so to me, those are two different modes of thinking. And I don't think anybody really has time or has the capacity to just work on the system. But in the book, what I'm trying to do is encourage people to say, hey, there's a whole nother mode of thinking, and you need to start spending a little bit more time in that working on the system. The reason we let some fires burn is so that we now say, okay, I've got a block of time. I need to start thinking about how do I make this better uh, and, or easier uh, for those involved? And so being able to invest a little bit of time doing that uh, when you are at the table, when you're offering your recommendations and ideas is that you've not thought about just how to solve this problem, but it's how to make that problem go away permanently in the future. Developing systems and processes to you know, make it consistently be gone. Yeah. Now, you, you bring up an interesting point about this matrix and this sort of challenging the future. And I can't help but wonder and think back and many people I've worked with and coached over the years, you know, not everybody likes to be challenged. Yeah. And sometimes they see that as threatening. So, you know, any thoughts on that? How do you create an environment or, or to, to allow that to happen or, or overcome that if that's the environment you're working in? You know, um, you know I, th I, think it's, I think it's an interesting one, John. When you say someone doesn't like to be challenged, I'm willing to bet they're willing, they're okay being challenged by the right person. You know what I mean? I think if someone who's done their homework, someone who shows good intention and character and has a track record of results when they challenge you, it's more accepting. When someone just challenges you on just, you know, they've got no credibility, they're not believable, and they just challenge, well, then I think it, 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 uh, it's harder to accept, right? When you've, you started building that track record of being believable, you start doing all these different types of things. I think that then it make, gives you permission to challenge more. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, you, I, you, 
you're taking all of your themes here and giving yourself that credibility, that that ability to influence, to, to bring it forward. I was trying to look at it more through the lens of a leader and thinking, is there something the leader can do to help sort of create this environment to bring this, to make it happen more often? Yeah, I think there is. Absolutely. I think that it's the uh, ability to empower as a leader, to empower people uh, by giving them responsibility and getting out of the way. The last chapter of the book is called Get Out of the Way. I think <laughs> Love as, that. <laughs> as managers and leaders, like we think our job is to help, uh, to offer advice, uh, to lead from the front. Uh, and what I would challenge challenge the readers is to think about that. Like, actually, you're, I think what your job really is to do is to act more like a flight instructor than a pilot. Uh, uh, like that's the analogy I use. I'll, I'll kind of explain that. Uh, a pilot's job is to get us from point A to point B as quickly and as safely as possible, right? They have to be in control. They have to be responsible. They have to do all these things to ensure that we don't fail in the process, right? A different mentality would be to think about it as a flight instructor. Uh, A flight instructor's job is to create more pilots. Uh, I mean, you have to be a great pilot to be a flight instructor, obviously, right? You have to be able to teach it. Uh, But a a great flight instructor, if you picture yourself in the cockpit with a flight instructor who every time there was turbulence, they grabbed the stick and took over, or they, they're pushing buttons and telling you, no, 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 over there. No, no, do this over there. Watch out for that. I mean, you know, it's like, that was like learning how to drive with my mother, right? Like the backseat driver, right? Yeah, right. Like, like, will, will that person be a great pilot? Are they going to pass their test and be a competent pilot out in the world if they're always being rescued? If they're always being assisted? They're always getting someone to tell them exactly how to think? No. Great pilots have to struggle. That's why you have to have, I think you have to have 1,500 hours of flying before you can even apply for a commercial license. Well, the reason it's 1,500 hours is because in over 1,500 hours, horrible things are going to happen to you (laughs) in those 1,500 hours. And those horrible things are going to make you a better pilot. And as we think about managers, uh, our job as managers, I challenge us to think more like flight instructors. Our job is to let people fail. Now, don't let them run into mountains. Don't let them crash the aircraft. But if they got to deal with a little stress and they got to solve problems and build some confidence and resourcefulness, well, then that's exactly what our jobs are to do. Because at the end, as a manager, you'll be known as someone who's good at creating managers, not people who are good at getting stuff done. There's a difference. Uh, what a great analogy, the pilot versus flight instructor. And, and you know, hire good people and let them build that believability, credibility, and help them get there. Really, uh, what a great concept. Really appreciate that. You know, Jeff, when you look back over the whole journey of the book and thinking back and this longer term vision you had a while back to even think about doing this, you know, what's what's been maybe an unexpected positive you found from from writing the book and going through this? Uh, you know, John, I, I would say writing a book is honestly like a big like it's almost like a, a, it's like a test, if you will, a test of yourself uh, because it requires all of your resources. And what I mean by that is like your physical presence. Uh, your emotional energy. I, I have, like, I've told people, like, writing a book gives you all of the feels, uh, the feelings of elation, the feel feelings of sheer terror, uh, the frustration, uh, wishing you were better, the uh, uh, inadequacy. Uh, that's a huge one. Uh, even if you're very confident uh, in your ideas and your stories, and uh, even then, uh, incredible amount of of that feeling of inadequacy. Uh, like, well, what do I know? Who am I to write a book? Uh, and having to walk through that gauntlet of emotions uh, and then put your time in, you know, put time in the chair, right? Like no book gets written if you don't put your time in the chair. Yeah. Uh, and like all of that stuff combined is, is like this test. I don't want to say a test of endurance, but like a test of will. 
uh, a test of character uh, is the part that I, I thought I would just, I like, Hey, I got a lot of ideas. I got, a, I, I get to practice this stuff live with people. So I took the best of the best of my stuff. But even then with all of that in my toolkit, uh, it was absolutely a test of character to get from beginning to end. For me, I would, uh, I, I just, I'm so grateful that I got to do it. it. Sounds like there's some really fascinating parallels between what your book is about and the journey you went on as, uh, as an author and some of this positive you're talking about, you know, this test of character, being believable, being credible and fighting your way through getting yourself to that stage in life. Uh, so maybe there's some interesting parallels between those two stories. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. Cause it's, it's craft, right? Like being a professional is a craft. Uh, and we treat it like a craft, like an artist, you expect an artist to go and suffer for their art and to grow <laughs> and to get exposure. But I think like when you're a business professional, it's like, well, no, I don't know. It's just, we go to work. It's like, well, no, like being business professional, being a leader, being a strong manager is a craft and it has to be cultivated. And I think the exact same thing, as you just pointed out, uh, is also the same about writing a book. It's a craft and it requires all of these different skills that stretch and pull you in all these new directions that when you come out of it, you're like, oh, hey, I, I, I made it. Uh, there are some things that I wish I could go back and redo, but like, there's something to learn in that experience as well, right? Like the book revealed itself to me through the process. At the same time, it was revealing who I am in the process, which is just a, such a neat experience that I, so few people get to have. Uh, I'm just super grateful to get, have gotten to do it. So really got a good sense of your character as you went through this journey. What, if I could ask, what would you say was the hardest part about uh, getting the book done? Hardest part for me, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, John, I would say the hardest part was like when we got towards the end to be like, okay, it's done. <laughs> uh, it's done. And I'll, I'll tell you a funny, can I tell you a funny story? Please, this is when you're like hitting send. Is this the idea? Well, just that, like, because part of the process is like, okay, if you're done, you need to say done. And like to, to write the words done. I mean, you've written a book, you know what I'm talking about? Like, so like, Hey, looks, everything looks good to us, Jeff. All you have to do is write, I'm done or something to that effect at the end. And, and when you send it. us that you can never change it again. And I, I had so much anxiety about that moment. I, I went back and forth with my wife. I wandered around the house. I actually let it sit there for like three days. You let it, it was burn. just like, I let it burn, but I wasn't doing anything to change it. I just was like, but what if I'm not done? Like, I, what if I need another year? I can make this thing even better. And uh, my wife, something I'm famous for saying in my workshops is done's better than perfect. And my wife, who is super good at saying things that I say back to me right at the perfect moment, uh, she's like, Hey honey, uh, just remember done's better than perfect. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? You're right. You're what a right. great partner. You're right. You're right. You're right. That's good. That's wise, wise words. And so I sent the email and said, I was done. And within 10 minutes, I found an error within 10 minutes. I found, and John, I messed up on the epilogue. The very first thing that's in the book, John, page when you four. Find it, it's like page four, this massive glaring air that was invisible to me just 10 minutes prior. And honestly, it had been invisible to me for, for two months because I had already written that page months ago. Uh, I didn't catch it. No one else caught it. It's going in the book. It's that way. Uh, and so my thought was when I uh, send out my initial books, I'm actually going to circle it and write in there, done's better than perfect. Uh, just to give all the other aspiring authors and permission to be like, hey, it, it is what it is, man. It's The book's done, but 
It's as perfect as it could be when I hit send. Just, I love this idea that your wife, and certainly I had a similar experience. My wife sort of, every time I hit a wall, she'd kind of peel me off of it and yeah, let me keep going. So yeah, many great. You don't do this alone. Like right. you do not write a book alone. <laughs> it is. A, it, it takes a village, I think, as yeah. someone once said. Uh, so, so many incredible messages about credibility and believability and driving influence. You know, if you want to think about, you know, what is a your big message here, Jeff, that people can take away if they read your book? What if, What are people going to take away? What do you hope they take away from your book? You know, for me, uh, I think about this book. This is a book. Uh, it says it's about believability, but it's really about empowerment. It's that you have a choice how you're going to show up each and every day. Uh, you can you can choose to just focus on that strategy of working hard, being expertise, and potentially being frustrated that you're not having the impact that you want to have. Alternatively, you can look at the situation, look at the environment that you're in and go, hey, maybe there's some things that I can control. Maybe it's Maybe I don't need one more certification or another degree. Maybe I need to look at the way I'm engaging with other people, my, my behaviors, my attitudes, uh, the, the way I communicate and connect with other people, those soft skills that are often considered, oh, soft skills. Uh, are there some of those things that I can control each and every day of how I show up so that I can have greater impact and ultimately earn that seat at the table and be heard? I love that. Hard work is not enough. You've got to have the soft skills too. And as I think I heard there, a big part of that is taking that time to self-reflect. How are my behaviors impacting others around me? And what can I control to drive change? What a fantastic message. Uh, hard work is not enough. Jeff, if people want to learn more about you and your, and your book, where might they go? JeffShannon.com. Incredible set of messages, ideas, thoughts, lessons for people going through their career. It sounds like at several stages, not only early on, but even further and deeper into their careers. Uh, as evidenced by one of the great quotes I saw in the back of your book from Steve Booker, president and CEO of SK Food Group, hard work is not enough, as, as he put it, is a, hard work is not enough is a must read for all of us looking to be the best leaders we can be. Jeff unveils the secret of being believable at work and in life and provides invaluable insight into those who are the most believable, what those who are the most believable do differently. What a great message and a great quote. Hard work is not enough will be available this summer, uh, late, late this summer, September 2021, wherever you buy books online. Jeff, thanks so much for being on the show. John, it's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm your host, John Saunders. Keep moving forward. 